the Arrive Early Leave Late podcast on the road again. We told you we're going to take the fans behind the scenes to the venues, to the practice facilities, to the stadiums. And today, it's a first. We are on the campus of Cal State Los Angeles, Go Eagles, where the LAFC practice. They play at Bank of California Stadium right next to the 110, but they practice off of the 10 in technically Monterey Park. Now, the reason that we're here is because we're going to give you a state of L.A. soccer. We're going to speak with Kevin Baxter, who covers the beautiful game for the L.A. Times, and one of the few reporters across the country that isn't just covering one team, two teams, but he's covering the entire sport. We're also going to be joined by a member of the LAFC and give you a preview of the Women's World Cup. It's an all-football edition of the Arrive Early League Late Podcast. I am your host, Bethel Duran. It's Wednesday, May 29th. He covers the beautiful game, Kevin Baxter. Now, I said this in the open that you're one of the few reporters in the country that has to cover five teams. Name them. Well, we cover LAFC, the Galaxy. One, two. Men's national team. Three. Women's national team. Four. Mexican national team. Five. And if there is an opportunity, the Mexican women's national team sometimes. Six. We went to Europe this summer and did stuff on uh, Frank McCourt at Marseille, did Paris Saint-Germain, international stuff when it comes up. So the world is my oyster. 470 bylines. Let's say that again. I had 470 bylines last year. So let's make sure okay, my boss doesn't know that. doesn't know, what's a byline? Byline is when you write a story and your name goes in the paper. So there are sometimes you write stories where your name doesn't go on. It's not a big enough story, important enough. So my name appeared on a story in the LA Times 470 times. More stories than there were days in the year. That's correct. Wow. Okay. So your travels recently have taken you where? Well, this year alone, I've uh, been to four or five different states two countries in Europe. We're going back to France for the Women's World Cup. I was just up in Santa Clara covering the women's national team. We'll meet them, of course, in France for the World Cup. I'm not complaining, by the way. No, no, no. A lot of, a lot of miles. What I'm trying to do is paint the picture of how important your role is because the LA Times, look, I am a very, very casual fan, but there is a community that is thirsty for knowledge of what's going on in the sport. And Kevin, and I've told this to you before the podcast today, and I've told you this many times, you're one of the few reporters in the country that's even covering soccer, let alone to the level that you're doing it. The LA Times has invested in it because they see the readership. Why is investment in this sport from you and the LA Times? One way to look at this is if you remember back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, some of us, I, I think I was one of those people, we said, oh, we're just going to wait for this whole internet iPhone thing to blow over. It's just a fad. Well, guess what? It's not. It now dictates everything you do in your daily life. I'm not saying soccer is going to be like that, but I'm not saying it won't be like that either. It's coming. Uh, millennials, by and large, are soccer fans. The largest percentage of the soccer fan public are millennials. And these are people who are now beginning to have kids and they're getting their kids into soccer. We know, for example, from studies that the participation in tackle football at a youth level is way down. And those kids are now going into soccer because of the popularity of soccer, but also fears about concussions and other things in football. So soccer is coming. The soccer fan base is growing. And the one thing about the soccer fan base is extremely passionate and extremely knowledgeable. Anyone who has a passing interest in any sports in L.A. really has to go check out an LAFC game. They have a what's called a standing stand, which means the, the fans in the North End stand for the entire game. Uh, they have banners, they have drums, they cheer, they start two hours before the game, 
and they don't quit until an hour or so after the game. It is loud. There's none of this stuff on the scoreboard, like no one plays charge and there's no electronic hands on the scoreboard telling you when to clap. The fans create the atmosphere. I am a very casual soccer fan. I grew up in Carson. I was there when they broke ground for the then Home Depot Center, and I've gone to many Galaxy games. Great experience. Love going to them as a casual fan. Love the experience. I went to an LAFC game night and day, and it's not a knock on the Galaxy, but it really does feel at an LAFC game. It's organic, the fan base that they had. They did a great job as the marketing two years before they even had the team here, before the stadium even was built. The color scheme, going out there, the guerrilla marketing, and I went to that one game, and I sat on the opposite side next to where the press box is at, and I saw the fans standing, and I'm thinking, okay, eventually they're going to sit down, right? Because the American way is, hey, you're standing in front of me, sit down. So that you're telling me everybody behind the goal stands the entire game? Like, that's what's expected from them? They do, and they actually— That's European-ish. It is. It was called the 3252. 3252 uh, is supposedly the number of seats in that part of the grandstand. It's not. Yeah. It's off by a few. But 3252 also adds up to 12, 12th man. It was actually modeled after the the yellow wall at Borussia Dortmund, which is the largest standing stand. A standing stand is where the, the fans stand the whole game. The largest standing stand in Europe at Borussia Dortmund in, in the German Bundesliga. The way it works is there is a rule now in international soccer that every ticket has to have a seat that goes with it. The idea being is they don't want these areas where 50,000 people are standing in an area built for 10,000 because if there's a stampede, people die. And that happened at a game in England several years ago. So every ticket has to have a seat. But what they do in some of these standing stands in Orlando City, in Minneapolis now, St. Paul, and at LAFC is there is a seat. You go to your seat, but the seats fold up and they lock behind a rail. So you have a place to stand the whole game. And the fans do stand the whole game. It looks cool. It, it is very cool. And this last game, the last game that LAFC played last weekend, it was it was Gay Pride Night. And they actually unveiled a huge banner of Freddie Mercury and played Queen songs. It was amazing. The atmosphere was just... And I agree with you. I don't mean to knock the Galaxy. The Galaxy does a great job. It's one of the best atmospheres in MLS. But I'm sorry. I mean, any fair-minded person that compares LAFC to Galaxy, it's night and day. The Galaxy does a great job. LAFC is, like you said, European. It's a whole different level for U.S. soccer. Kevin, we'll get back to talking to you. Let's talk to a member of the LAFC who's walking into our studio. Christian Ramirez joined us today. Let's catch everybody up on where your team is, Christian. After 15 games, you guys are 10-1-4. and four. 10 wins are the most in the league. The one loss is the fewest. 34 points, 36 goals, 11 goals allowed. All best in the league. Your goal differential, plus 25, is insane. No other team in the league is even in double digits. And the season's not even half over yet. So the question is, can you keep up this pace? Uh, I think that's the goal. Um, and we're just approaching it like we have from the start of the season is one week at a time every obstacle that we have to have to take and um, the mentality of the group's been really good. And I think that's what's set us apart so far. If you continue this pace, you'll break records for points, fewest goals allowed, goal differential. You would be statistically, at least the best team in MLS history. Are you guys the best team in MLS history? <laughs> I think it's a little too early to say that we, we have bigger goals in mind. We want to win trophies. And once we win some trophies, we can start to talk about that, that aspect of the game. But right now we're the first team to 10 wins this year. And um, that was our focus going into the last game. Last season, the inaugural season for LAFC, uh, it's one of the best ever for an expansion team kind of continuing this trend. But it ended in an upset loss in the first round of the playoffs. A number of players have told me that's one of the things that inspired the team in this fast start. Are you one of those players that used that playoff loss as fuel? 
Definitely. Um, I think that fueled us going into the offseason, and we trained for a couple of weeks after after that game, and um, you could see it from there. We wanted to get better and wanted to continue to improve in the right way, um, and I think we have. Certainly, we haven't put together the amount of complete games that we would like, but you, you could see the maturity growing um, from the whole team as a group. So it's been something that's definitely been in the back of our minds. The way LAFC play is extremely demanding style. A lot of teams try to do it, but very few, Barcelona, Manchester City, have really been able to do it to any degree of mastering it. What are the main principles of that style and why is it so hard? Because uh, I think it's so fluid of certain guys being in different areas. You've seen Carlos have success um, in the half space or out wide or sometimes in the number nine role like he did this weekend when I was out wide. You just can't plan for where one guy specifically is going to be. And when you have weapons like we do with Carlos, with Diego, with Mark, um, with Edward picking passes, Latif winning every second ball that's out there, it sort of creates havoc on teams and their game plan. And that in itself is hard to plan for. It is really fun to watch. And I'm wondering, is it fun to play? Yeah, it is. Definitely. I've definitely been playing a different role than I have in my whole career, but it's been a fun adjustment to be able to take some pressure off of Diego and Carlos defensively when I track back for them or just let them be free um, and go into spaces that they're not occupying so that they know wherever they want to go that it's comfortable for them and I can just pick my spots in different moments. He came over last year in August, uh, sort of a mid-season, late mid-season trade. Um, played a completely different style in Minnesota. Then you come in here and the team's clicking. W- was it hard to make that transition to understand what you were supposed to do in this new f- philosophy? I think early on it wasn't because it was a stretch of back-to-back games. So it was just realizing the games and trying to get better from it. And then as more practice time came, you started to see how hard it is to adjust, especially mid-season. I mean, I think that took a little bit away from me being more successful last year. But I think having that offseason under my belt in this preseason, I've made strides in all aspects of my game. And um, now the goals will start to come. I think you told me that you spent the second half of the season when you were here, much of it in a hotel room. I think fans lose the idea of you had come from Minnesota. You had a baby. You just bought a condo. You're traded in the middle of the week. You had to get here. You had to perform while trying to move your family, take care of your baby, find a place to live. How difficult is that? Uh, really difficult, especially when you're in a small hotel room with a two-month-old and she goes to bed at 7.30. So you're laying in bed with your wife in the dark in a hotel room since 7.30 at night, not knowing what to do. Um, so that was probably the toughest part. But once that was out of the way, I think it was it was easier once all our furniture came and my furniture was delayed by by a month, so I was in an, an apartment for a, for a month with just a TV and a mattress, so that sucked, but it's all part of the lifestyle. It was the first time it's happened to me in my career, so it was a fun experience for sure. You got a place now, everything. Yeah, you everything's got a bed, good. Bedroom and everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your coach, Bob Bradley, speaking of Barcelona using the same style that you guys play, he loves to compare players on your team to Barcelona players. I know when you guys watch video, he wants Carlos to play like Leo Messi. He wants other players to play like Iniesta. Who are you? Who does he compare you to? I've actually sat down and watched some video uh, of Suarez with Kenny lately. And it's been more of just his movement, getting involved with the midfielders and then uh, making runs from deeper instead of just off the back shoulder. So they're showing me his movements within that narrow three up front and just his spots that he likes to pick so that I could take some of that into my game. And I think I've started to slowly progress in that aspect. 
Yeah, Suarez is not a bad guy to be. Yeah, Just don't I bite know. anybody. Yeah. Transition a little bit to the national team. The Gold Cup's coming up. You're on the provisional roster, and you're going to lose. A, the Gold Cup, as we know, is a three-week, 16-team regional tournament championship played every year in the U.S. What does it mean to have your name on that list? Oh, it's awesome. It would be a dream come true to be able to play in a competitive tournament with this country. I realized one of my dreams this year, being able to put that jersey on and step on the field um, and score a goal. So to continue off of that would be pretty amazing. So it's something that any day now I'm looking for an email with my name on it, hopefully, and um, be able to realize that dream. Yeah, we should explain to people that you were called up in the winter. You played a couple of games for the U.S., friendly games, which it's a little bit above a baseball spring training game, but it's not a competitive game. In any case, you played, you made your debut, counts as an international debut, you Mm -hmm. scored a goal, you have an international goal. Now the Gold Cup would be actually a competitive game. A lot of your teammates will have basically three weeks off from a game during that Gold Cup break. It's in the midst of a very difficult schedule for you guys. Would you rather have the three weeks off or rather go play? No, I don't. (laughs) I don't think Bob will give three weeks off. <laughs> uh, so I know there's an oven cup game in there, possibly a second one. So it will be a tough three weeks, I think. It'll, it'll be like a mini preseason, to be honest, with the workload that, that Bob and the staff will put the guys through. So I definitely would like to be somewhere in Midwest uh, with the United States. It would be a trip back to Minneapolis-St. Yeah, Paul that, for you. You get to see that would be the new stadium that you didn't get to play yeah, in. That yeah, that for sure would be special. Yeah, the new stadium opened in Minneapolis-St. Paul after you left. Um, so you go to national team camp. Greg Berhalter, the new coach, uh, plays a similar style to Bradley, but there are some differences. Is it difficult, again, talking about making the transition because you go from this style to that style, then you come back again. Is it difficult to do that? No, I think you have figured out what you need to do in each system. Um, and you can really easily transition because both coaching staffs make it easy. I know before the last 10-day camp, they sent out a two-hour video. Guys watched on their flights and just about the scouting report for the next couple of weeks. And stuff like that makes it really easy to know your role and know what's ahead. Being around so many good players on the on your national team, but then playing against teams like Mexico, Costa Rica, and Panama, do you pick up some things that help your game? you notice things maybe that could help you by watching other players? Yeah, I think that's that's the biggest part of being a soccer player and continuing to grow and push yourself is being able to pick certain things from different guys, whether they're in the similar position or not. Um, there's always something you can learn off of them. Um, and that's definitely something that I've learned to do out there. If you make the Gold Cup roster, I think you pl- would play six games. The MLS season is 34 games long. You have open cup games. You could wind up playoffs. You could wind up playing 48 games in 36 weeks. And Manchester City this year, they played over 50 domestic games just in, in England alone. Is that too much? No. Uh, I think sometimes you hear in the United States like that our season's long. Yeah, it's long because how long it's separated. But guys in Europe and in South America, they're playing Wednesday, Saturdays for the majority of the year. And um, it's just about managing your body and um, doing the right things. And I think I've prepared my body this off season to make a long run um, this year. So I think uh, I'm prepared and hopefully we play those amount of games. Women's World Cup starts in a couple of weeks. What do you think of the U.S. team? I think they look good. Hopefully they can bring back another trophy. So who's going to win the World Cup? The Women's World Cup? Yeah. The USA. How about the Gold Cup? USA. <laughs> <laughs> you going to score the winning goal? Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> thanks for your time, man. No, Thank thanks you for much. having me. All right, that was Kevin Baxter with the professional soccer questions. Hold on, hold on. No, you oh, can't leave now. Spare it there. Spare it Now, those are the professional, real, like, football questions. And the, by the great job, by the way, Kev. Now, I got the basic, like, 
Fan question, sure. All right. All right, ready? You're an OC kid, right? Mm-hmm. You dreamed of playing for who as a kid? Because there was no LAFC. Uh-huh. Galaxy was barely around, maybe? I went to a lot of Galaxy games. Um, and when Juan Pablo Angel was there, uh, my parents are Colombian. They they love to go, and we really watched them a lot. All right, so 10-year-old leaving the 405 freeway, you're like, okay, one day I want to play for who? Manchester United? Who? Oh, Madrid. Madrid was, was Madrid, Yeah, Madrid's wow. always been my team. Why? I don't know if Rubinho, when he made that transition there, and then he was the first one to get sold to Man City when the new owners came in. So I just really liked Madrid and Kaká was there, all, all those guys. So All right, so now that you're back here in Southern California, you're playing for the LAFC, a team that didn't <laughs> exist when you were a kid, yeah. the, all of a sudden everybody's still your friends like, hey, I need tickets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the amount of text messages that I get where, all of it's a all, sudden. hey, if, the, if there's some extra in the locker room, can you leave under my name? I'm on my way to the game. Oh, you get them on the way to the game? Yeah. Not I even get, the day before? No, and people think they're easy to come by, and you see how packed the crowd is. It's, yeah. It's pretty pretty hard to get tickets. Like, you have standing room only. There's a couple yeah. there, right? They don't understand that you pay taxes. Yeah, I know. Also, you went to Concordia University, which many people have never heard of, right down the street from uh-huh. you. When you're playing with NAIA at that time yep. there, and did you think, you know what, if I stick it out here, I can get to my dreams? Because I know you transferred to Santa Barbara, but still, though, when you're there, you're like... I knew I had to put up like ridiculous numbers in the NAIA yeah. to make some noise. Um, and luckily, I got invited to three combines. I got invited to the San Jose Earthquakes one. I drove up there and played one half of like four games. And then I went to the Vegas combine of Seattle that they host every year. And I played one game out of four. So I really didn't get a fair look, I thought. Um, and then I went to, to Charlotte with my last 300 bucks and I took a chance and got offered a contract Wait, there. Wait, last 300? Yeah. I, I got 100 from um, a friend and then I had 200 and we just went. I shared a room with another guy that was at Concordia that we ended up signing together. And that was it. This is after Santa Barbara? Yeah, so I went two years to Santa Barbara and then two years at that Concordia. That leaves you broke. Yeah. Like the IV is no joke. Like, yeah. You're broke over there. <laughs> yeah. So you just bet on yourself that you can yeah. get this? So you had to pay for tryouts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now people are asking you for free tickets. Yeah. Respect to you, man. Yeah, thanks. Let's take a break. Hear from our sponsors. Welcome back to walk-offs. Fadeaways. And early morning fairways. Welcome back to the climb, the descent, starting over, and finishing strong. Whatever you love, welcome back. Trust the orthopedic care the pros choose at the Cedars-Sinai Curling Job Institute. Call 1-800-CEDARS-1 or visit our website, Cedars-Sinai. All right, as we were saying before Christian Ramirez decided to Interrupted by a professional soccer player. That was cool, though. I've never met him. I've heard of him. Anytime you have a Latino name in there, I try to figure out who these guys are, where they come from. If you have a Southern California tie, it's cool. I've heard many things about him. Aaron Perez, actually, who was a kicker at UCLA or a punter who played with him in Minnesota, I sent him a picture. He's like, one of the nicest kids you're going to meet. It really does seem like that. Yeah, one of the interesting things he said, he talked about how he had to pay to go to those tryouts. We were talking about that earlier. You talk to minor league baseball players, they'll tell you they can't get 
get anything from free from any of the bat companies, the glove companies. You have to pay for everything. Then they get to the major leagues and sign a multi-million dollar contract and everyone's handing them free stuff. And I'm sure Christian Ramirez will tell you the same thing. He wished he had some of the money that he gets now back when he was coming up. It would have helped him a lot. It's the struggle these guys go through. And you see the huge transfer fees for some of the best players in the world. Yeah, but those are those guys, which is like a 1%. There's more Christian Ramirez is grinding out in these leagues that we don't know anything about. Like you actually wrote the story about the OC team. The Orange County Soccer Club. The Orange County Soccer Club, how they were trying to get more people, more attention. You See, I, I do read your bylines, Kevin. <laughs> hey, those There's guys, a lot of them to read. But those kind of the guys are playing for the love of it and they're chasing their dreams in hopes of becoming like a Christian. And the big players. I mean, Messi grew up very poor. Suarez grew up very poor in Uruguay. These guys, when they get to the top levels, a lot of them have really earned it. Now, there are other occasional guys that came up, had a very nice background. But for the most part, a lot of these athletes really struggled to get to where they're at. So LAFC doing really well right now. Best team in the league. Galaxy? Third best in the league. Okay. The growth of the sport overall, because it, it just seems like every time I'm watching TV, there's a new stadium popping up. This is the greatest stadium building boom in U.S. history. Baseball went through a period in the early 2000s where they built, I think it was 13 stadiums in a 10-year period. Major League Soccer is going to go beyond that when the Miami Stadium is built and Cincinnati Stadium is built. These are stadiums that are sort of, the Cincinnati one is underway. The Miami one is still just a blueprint. But there will be about 17, I think it is, soccer-specific stadiums in the U.S. and Canada in MLS by the time this boom is done in about 2022. Soccer-specific teams are very important because when MLS was founded, it played in giant football stadiums like Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. They played in the Rose Bowl. The Galaxy did it first. Well, didn't the Galaxy practice outside of the Rose Bowl? They practiced outside the Rose Bowl, and they played in the Rose Bowl. Like where the people tailgating out for UCLA games, that was their practice spot? Correct. Wow. And then you would get 20,000, which is a good soccer crowd, but in the Rose Bowl, there was no atmosphere. So by building these small soccer-specific stadiums like Bank of California, 22,000 seats, the Atlanta United team... They play at the same stadium that was used for the Super Bowl. Now, it's not a soccer-specific stadium. They use the the Mercedes-Benz Stadium because their owner is the same owner as the Atlanta Falcons. My point being, MLS Cup was played in that stadium about six weeks before the Super Bowl. There were more people that attended the soccer championship than the NFL championship in the same stadium. The amount of soccer, the popularity, the growth. And At the end of the day, if you give them a good product and it's fun to go to, it's family-friendly, they're going to show up. Exactly. And I think that's one of the reasons the women's team is so popular. The largest TV attendance, domestic TV audience for a soccer game in the U.S. was not a World Cup final. It was not a U.S. national team game. It was the Women's World Cup final four years ago in Canada. 27 million people. The Women's World Cup is going to be in Paris, France? Well, it's all over France. It's going to actually finish in Lyon. Okay, so you and I are going... Yes, you're going to go see Scotland, Argentina. I will be there earlier. in Paris. And people are thinking, I'm joking. No, I'm serious. I'm taking my son. We're going to Europe for a couple of weeks. And, and you book Paris without knowing. Exactly. Well, I booked the flight and I'll, I'll just find a hotel. Not that expensive. I'm looking for hotels in Paris. Couldn't find anything decent. And I'm like, my goodness, I know Europe is expensive. Then I go and do some research. The Women's World Cup is going on. I do more research. And my last day there, it's Scotland against Argentina. Is that a big game for me? These are two new World Cup teams, Scotland playing for the first time in the World Cup. Actually, there are church records that show that women were playing soccer in Scotland back in the 1600s. What? And this is the first time Scotland's women have made it to the World Cup. So a bit of history there. Okay, so do I watch USA if I can find them? Are they they the popular team? The U.S. is the number one ranked team in the world, the defending world champions. But the one thing about this World Cup is you talk about the popularity of soccer. There has been so much investment sponsorship dollars coming into women's soccer. 
to build leagues, to build training facilities, to pay salaries. The women's game has just totally taken off. In the past, it would be the U.S., Germany, maybe another team like Japan. Your winner was going to come from a very small group of teams. This year, there's at least a half dozen, maybe as many as 10 teams that could legitimately win this. We're talking about England, the Netherlands, Canada, Sweden, Australia. This will be the best Women's World Cup ever in terms of quality of play. And what about the Mexican team? Mexican team will be watching on television from Mexico. They did oh, not qualify. The three teams from our region, from the CONCACAF region that qualified, Jamaica, first Caribbean team ever to make it to the Women's World Cup, the U.S. and Canada. Canada is ranked fifth in the world. I know they don't have a great soccer tradition on the men's side. The women's team is very good, and they're led by a player named Christine Sinclair, who during this tournament will break the record for most goals ever scored in international soccer. The record right now is 184, held by Abby Wambach, who was just elected to the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. Yeah. Christine Sinclair is three behind her. She'll break the record in this World Cup. Wow. So that's the Women's World Cup. LA Times investing in it as they will send Kevin Baxter. You're going to follow Team USA around France? Well, around France, yeah. The U.S. will only play two games in Paris if they make it all the way to the final. All right, but you'll be in Lyon for the final. I will be in Lyon for Maybe the I'll final. Maybe I'll extend my uh, vacation. Arrive early, leave late, road trip across the pond. We'll go over there. Now, moving on, what is going on in UEFA? How do you say it? UEFA? How- UEFA. We talked earlier about the different confederations. Uh, UEFA is the confederation that rules European soccer. And on June 1st, they will have their Champions League. It's the most important club championship in soccer. Two English teams playing AX. against each other. No, AX was eliminated. Oh. It's going to be Liverpool and Tottenham. Two English teams for the first time. Who do I like? You like Liverpool. I like Liverpool. They play a very attractive are th- style. Are those of- the Reds? They are the Reds. Okay. Play a very tractor style. Their owner is John Henry, who owns the Red Sox. So a little rooting interest there. Let's go Tottenham. It's interesting, too, because so that's the Champions League final. The Europa League, which is kind of the NIT of European soccer, another club championship game, that will be played between Arsenal and Chelsea. So all four of these big tournament games, all four positions are with English teams this year. And the reason I'm asking is because European soccer is big in my group chat, which is mostly baseball with my friends. Anytime there's a Premier League game or something going on, they go all about it. I'm like, don't you guys work? It's like 12 o'clock. You guys are texting me about soccer. But you see the growth. You see the excitement that people have. Steve Nash was a color commentator. And for these games, there's just so many different people involved with it. I'm also going to be in Rome on my European vacation. Who do I go see? Uh, go see AS Roma. By the way, on the board of AS Roma is someone named Mia Hamm. Really? Also a co-owner of LAFC, legendary U.S. national team player, two-time world player of the year. She's an owner at LAFC, and she's on the board at AS Roma. So, so go, she, AS she's Roma? taking over the soccer team, the soccer world. All right. So AS Roma is where I got to go. So I got to buy a jersey of also AS Roma? Also owned by an American businessman from Boston who is a part owner of the Celtics. See, it all comes back to U.S. sports in some way. Man, you know what? James Pelota. Boston people owning stuff. I don't like that. Frank McCourt owns Marseille. See, there you go. Another France. Boston guy. Let's James keep it Pelota. LA-centric here, Baxter. James Pelota owns uh, AS Roma. Arrive early. Leave late. Boston edition with Kevin Baxter showing up. John Henry owns Liverpool, but Stan Kroenke, who owns the Rams, owns Arsenal. All right. Gold Cup. Who's winning? Um, wow, that's a tough one. I th- when is it? Mexico. It starts on June 15th with Mexico playing at the Rose Bowl. It will end on July 7th in Chicago. We don't know who will be there yet. Mexico could play the U.S., given the way the tournament is setting up. Wait, so June 15th, you're going to be in Europe, though. Who's covering Mexico at the Gold Cup? I think you are. I'll be in Europe also. Well, we'll have to do it over the phone, I guess. You know what we should do? Is it Mexico playing June 15th at the Gold Cup against who? 
To be honest, I'm really not sure who they play in their okay. first game. Our social media team, Fidel, will be going to that game. I, I've made an executive decision. LA Times Sports account will be at the Rose Bowl for that Mexico game. Can I give you one more piece of Gold Cup trivia? There is a game in Los Angeles. It'll be on June 25th. It'll be at Bank of California Stadium. Okay. It's a Gold Cup game, Honduras versus El Salvador. Ooh, Why no. do we care? First of all, there's a ton of Salvadorans in LA. Second largest Salvadoran population outside the U.S. Dylan Hernandez is among them. Yep. The pupusas will be great. But... There's a piece of history because in 1969, going back just before you were born, in 1969, El Salvador and Honduras played in a group of World Cup qualifiers. There were tension between the two countries over some land at the border that some Salvadoran farmers were working in, and the Hondurans claimed that land. Anyway, these three World Cup qualifiers, the first two ended in violence, one in San Pedro Sula, the other in San Salvador. So they had to play the third tie-breaking game in Mexico City in a neutral site. Ooh. After those games were over, war actually broke out between El Salvador and Honduras. The Salvadoran army, Salvador had won and they advanced to the World Cup. The Salvadoran army and Air Force actually invaded Honduras. It was a 100-hour war. 2,000 people were killed. It's called the soccer war. I've talked to people about this. They said soccer had nothing to do with it. But it's remembered as a soccer war because it was ignited after these World Cup qualifiers. So the 50th anniversary of that Soccer war is when these two teams play at Bank of California. Are you serious? So there you go. Something you didn't know before you tuned into this podcast. No, that is an awesome piece of history. So we bring you on, Kevin Baxter. That's good stuff right there. So the final is when for the Gold Cup again? It'll be July 7th. It'll July be 7th in Chicago. In Chicago. The same day that the Copa America has its final and the same day that the Women's World Cup has its final. All right. So we're going to Chicago. Let's go. Well, I'll be in Leon. All right. Well, I guess arrive early, leave late. In Chicago is we're watching Team USA. For that World Cup, watch the quarterfinals. Right now, if everything goes to plan, it'll be the U.S. versus France for the women. In the quarterfinals, in Paris, I think that's the game to watch because the U.S. women play almost all of its games here. They've lost one game since July of 2017. They lost one game to France in France. One of the few games they played on the road. They're going to have 50,000 French fans screaming at them in Paris, cheering on the French team. Remember, France is the reigning men's World Cup champion. Mm -hmm. No country has won the men's and women's World Cup at the same time. So the U.S. will have to get past France in that quarterfinal. I'm not sure if they do it. They're not used to playing in hostile crowds. France beat them 3-1 to one in January. That's the game to watch. That's going to be better than the final. Good stories, Kevin. I'm excited about everything you're telling me, but it's, let's get interactive here. Let's include the fans. Now, our social media team decided, I guess my judgment and my wishes, to go and ask fans on Twitter if they had any questions for you. And the reason I say it's against my judgment against it, usually, remember, I covered the Lakers and Dodgers for a while. When you ask people, hey, you have any questions? It's usually a lot of words we can't use. But I realized that soccer fans are really smart, for the most part, that they have intelligent questions. So we have some good questions coming your way. So it's the first time we've ever done interactive Arrive Early Libre podcast. And let's start with Josh Mendoza, beautiful Twitter handle of Gordito. Why is the Gold Cup final scheduled on the same day as the Women's World Cup final? Absurd? That's a very good question about the Gold Cup. And it's not just the Gold Cup. The Gold Cup, the Women's World Cup, and the Copa America in South America, which is actually a very big men's tournament, they all end on the same day. They all end on July 7th. This is due to the FIFA schedule. FIFA, which is the governing body for international soccer, has to work around club schedules. Every player who's on a professional team is guaranteed a certain amount of time off every summer. So they have to squeeze these tournaments in between the end of the Champions League tournament, which is June 1st, and the start of training camp, which generally for most teams is in mid-July. So there's not much of a calendar for them to work with. A lot of the women's coaches and players complained about that. They said, look, FIFA, if you're trying to call attention to the women's game, 
the women's final needs to be on its own day. You can't be competing with two other major men's tournaments. And I think that argument carries a lot of weight because four years ago, the Women's World Cup had its own day. The CONCACAF Gold Cup ended in late July. The Copa America ended the day before the Women's World Cup, so there was no conflict. This year, all three tournaments end on the same day. It's going to be a fantastic day for soccer, but there's going to be a lot of people who are going to have their attention challenged. The focus will not be on the women's game, and I think that's a huge opportunity missed. All right, here's one from Christian Mesa. How will the Gold Cup affect MLS matches during that time for both LAFC and Galaxy? It's going to affect them in a big way. The Galaxy are going to lose potentially a couple of players. They're going to lose Jonathan Dos Santos, who is their best player, their captain, when Ibra is not on the field. He will be going off to Mexico, so will Uriel Antuna. They'll also lose Ralph Felcher, who's an outside back. He's going to be playing for Venezuela in Copa America, apparently. Sebastian Legette is in the U.S. team player pool. So the Galaxy could lose up to four players. If U.S. or Mexico goes deep in the Gold Cup, they'll be gone for a month. The Galaxy don't play for three weeks in June, so that's going to help them a little bit. Other than that, they're just going to have to go on without these players. The other thing that you forget is everyone else has three weeks off. These players are going to come back from a competitive tournament. They're going to need a little time to get readjusted. So it's just not the time they miss while they're away. They need the time to come back and get readjusted. LAFC is even worse situation. Carlos Vela, their captain and leading scorer, is not going to go play with Mexico but they're going to lose at least five players. They're losing a player, Mark Anthony K to Canada, losing a player to Jamaica. They're losing three players to the U.S. So it's going to be a very difficult, very crowded schedule. And uh, Bob Bradley talked about it today. It, he finds more fault with the MLS schedule that allows teams to play, in the case of the Galaxy, three games in nine days, and then they get three weeks off. And this one coming from Durant Sports and Carson. What is the Gold Cup? You don't know what the Gold Cup is? No. Okay. FIFA is divided into confederations. There's a South American Confederation, North America, Caribbean. That's the CONCACAF. That's the federation the U.S. is in. There's UEFA, which is the European Federation. This is a way to organize all of soccer's various countries and international tournaments. The CONCACAF Gold Cup is played every two years, and it's the Confederation Championship. The U.S. won it in 2017. They were undefeated. So they are the champions of the CONCACAF Confederation. Um, again, I it says played every two years. It's a little bit for bragging rights. The final almost always winds up with the U.S. and Mexico. One of the two is always in the final, sometimes playing against one another. It's a little bit for bragging rights, but the big thing that the CONCACAF Gold Cup does is it brings money to the Confederation and it allows lesser teams a chance to play in a competitive tournament. For example, this year, Nicaragua will be playing in the Gold Cup for the first time in, in quite a while. So it's a proving ground. Cuba will be in the Gold Cup. It's a proving ground for some of these lesser teams that generally cannot get good quality opponents to schedule games against them. I like that, doing the mailbag with you, Kevin. You also have your own podcast separate. Was it Corner of the Galaxy? Corner of the Galaxy. It's not mine. Josh Gessman is the owner and, and proprietor of that podcast. He is nice enough to invite me on. All right, you're on that. Your mailbag is involved here or your email bag. People can follow you at? KBaxter11 K at Twitter. At Twitter. Do you do Instagram? I have nope. Instagram. I go look at pictures of people, but uh, I don't <laughs> you, do much you there. You are such an old school You reporter. kids get off my lawn. You are yeah. such an old school. Kevin, you're going to be the only person in France following the women's team from L.A. You would kill on the Instagram. I'm telling you, I am waiting for this whole internet thing to blow over. You know what? Yeah. That, that typewriter you're lugging around the world is really going to do you <laughs> I'm well. I'm waiting for that to come back. As always, thanks to the LAFC and their facilities, their PR staff. Christian Ramirez joined us today with our guest. I like taking the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast on the road. We get to explore different venues, 
Actually, we got to stop the podcast now because they're going to give us a tour of this facility. Cool. All right. Uh, Dave Wine was our producer. Mike Heflin engineered. Fidel Martinez and the Cumbia Kings and everybody else from the Rio Grande Valley were here involved with him. He does the social media for the Times. I'm your host, Beth Adran. As always, rate, review, subscribe, and let us know where we should take the podcast next. We are open to suggestions. We will go on the road and we're exploring. It's your podcast. It's for the people. It's the Arrive Early Leave Late Podcast. <laughs>